0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Revenue Champions with me, your host, Ryan Reiser. Coming out of this recording just now, I'm so pumped about the conversation that I just had with Shabri. She's the founder and CEO of SalesWorks, and you're not gonna wanna miss the conversation we have in store for you today. First, we talk about what it is that she's done her journey uh, through sales to become the CEO of SalesWorks and what she does there. Uh, But more importantly, we get into some topics that are really interesting. What if product-led growth is dead? What about value-led growth? What is this thing? We're going to talk about the buyer-centricity, buyer-centric model, and actually thinking about sales in a different way, the science of sales, and a few more topics that you're not going to miss. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Revenue Champions podcast. Today, I have um, an exciting guest for us, Shabri Lakani. I got that right. I think yes.
1: Yes, you did. Fast time. Oh, well done.
0: All right. So, uh, super excited to connect with you today. Uh, for the listeners who are joining in, um, can you tell us a little bit more about um, you know who Shabri, the work you're doing at, at SalesWorks, um, you know what problem are you solving, who do you serve, how do you serve them, just so that we can set some context for the conversation today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for having me. Um, I've, I've been listening to this podcast for a while now, so I'm delighted to, to finally be a guest. Um, so, by way of introduction, my name is Shabri. I'm the CEO of SalesWorks. Um, I actually started my career as an SDR um, quite a long time ago now. Um, and uh, since then, I've done a number of sales leadership roles. And then four years ago, I started SalesWorks. And, and our goal at SalesWorks is, is really to reimagine the legacy approach to training and, and development. Um, and I, I set up SalesWorks to, you know, essentially own the space of sales training, development and enablement. Um, I've had such a bad experience with sales training in the past as a leader and someone who wants to invest in my teams. Um, and what we believe is that it's really about building your it's it's not about building your skills. It's it's not information exchange when, when you talk about sales training. It's all about behavior change. Um, so we work with organizations um, predominantly in the SaaS space. Um, from startup to scale up um, and we help organizations um, essentially optimize their teams, reducing ramp time, improving performance and increasing confidence. And and we do that across every role in the go-to-market function. So everything from an SDR all the way through to to customer success. Um, So it's exciting that we get to see every um, every role in the revenue function.
0: Wow, oh, that's very exciting. So this is gonna be uh, an amazing conversation today. Uh, you and I might be cut from a similar cloth, having made our ways up through the ranks from lead generation sales development, uh, up through sales leadership and and then into some consulting and training. So um, difference here, which I love, is you've got the whole cycle, right? You're thinking about revenue, and I think that's a gap that um, a lot of folks miss, which is probably why you're trying to rethink this is is the the actual entire customer life cycle. Uh, and I'm, I'm I'm curious to dig in there and, and I think the starting point here starts with this idea of buyer centricity um, yeah. and and putting the customer first i'd imagine but you've mentioned that those words these are the years around buyer centricity personalization on LinkedIn and um, you know you're putting the buyer at the center of the sales methodology to help align buyer behavior with the actual goals of the sales organization uh, and can you explain a little bit more about the idea on how you've seen success with this? I mean, it kind of sounds like a no-brainer when we talk about it and <laughs> say it out loud, but it, it's it's also some for some reason forgotten about in, in this traditional like S R A E model, right? The predictable revenue
1: yeah.
0: uh, assembly line model.
1: Yeah, I you know, we talk about... Um personalization and we talk about all of these things but i still think that there is a lot of this that that companies do from a self-serving perspective and i think we've seen an increased desire from buyers on trust and credibility so what I mean by that is the non-product aspect so if you think back five years ago um you know presentations had logos of all your customers on a on a slide and our marketing collateral looked a bit different and I think as we think about biocentricity and personalization I think we have to start this at the top of the funnel Right, so I think this has to be reflected in in the marketing or collateral. It's less product focused and more industry led, and almost that more challenger style. Right, and if you think about the scary stat that most most customers, ninety percent of customers, research products online before purchasing. Right, so that tells me that they know so much more about the product, but by the time they have a conversation with an inbound SDR or an AE or whoever it might be what they're actually missing is, is, is the why, right? They're missing that experience. So they're missing the sales experience, the interactions, the value creation. And it, I think that's where we've got to kind of get better at um, that education, not about product, but about how this is going to make an impact. Um, And so I think that really does start at the top of the funnel. So it starts with marketing. It starts with sales development and, you know, I think in some aspects we've done well, but I think in some aspects we still, we still got a long way to go.
0: Yeah. It's really interesting to see the life cycle. And again, we've kind of maybe gone through around the same times with this evolution um, from, you know, really strong, traditional lead generation uh, gated content, you know, eBooks, white papers uh, where, you know, you almost are forcing the customer to, you know, talk to sales before they get any information to this new world of, you know, there's review sites and people talking about uh, products and services and communities that you're not even aware of. And so that research is happening maybe before they hit your website, certainly before they're hitting your sales organization and it's kind of flipped the flipped the script a bit, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the approach and things that we used to do in the past may not m- mode well to where the person's at in the journey. And until you have that conversation with the salesperson, you can't really connect those dots. And so you've mentioned that that sales is about that experience, right? Um, the value creation, you use those words again. Um, the meetings, the interactions, the onboarding. But what are some of the ways that salespeople get this wrong? Um, and how should they think about the role of the buyer, you know, versus maybe the traditional sales methodologies uh, that, that would be deployed, right? Like the force management, you know, stage definitions and action criteria is on our side of the house versus where the buyer's at? Because it's just, it's definitely different today. It makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. Well, so I think there's a couple of aspects to this, right? I think the first is what is the profile of our buyer today? And if you look at it, millennials are becoming key decision makers, um, you know, as, as they're going into uh, more senior roles. And they've got a digital first buying posture, because they're a hyper online generation, which means, you know, as you say, like, they're going to find out so much more about our company through review sites, different angles, social websites. Um, and so I think, you know, the first thing companies can do is like a cross-channel marketing play, right? So moving your, um, moving away from product-focused marketing to, to value-led. The second thing is then, what is the type of content that you're putting out there? And I read this um, really fascinating stat from Forrester recently that said 57% of buyers find the content to receive, the content that they receive rather useless, right? Which is a huge number. Um, and so I think it's about what do people what do people actually want to be reading what are they um what are they looking for like as an example we've recently invested in g2 because i think that does help with the research piece and gaining trust and creating uh, you know credibility and people don't want to hear from you how great your product is people want to hear from other people right um and then i think the the last thing, and this is something that we start every training program with, um, we start with a couple of exercises to reframe how people are thinking. So the first thing that we get them to do is really actually think about what is their prospect buying, right? So um, the analogy that we use is a dentist sells braces, but you're not actually buying braces, right? You're buying a perfect smile. Yeah. So we, we we ask reps to think about like, what are people actually buying? Um, so you can start to think about the value and then the second exercise that we do, and this is something that reps struggle with a little bit more, which I find fascinating. We ask them to think about why would someone buy from you over your competitor? So we've, we've understood that they're going to buy, but why would someone buy from, from you over your competitor? Um, and what, what, why I find this fascinating is because what we hear and see is that these differentiators aren't weaved into the messaging and sales process so we recently did this with the company and and they all came back and said people buy with us because our our client success team is amazing with education and engagement they don't mention that at all in their sales process so i think there's a bit of a disconnect between you know the messaging and then the the perceived value that prospects are going to get so i would say those are you know three things that people can do um but, you know, I've been on the I've been on the receiving end of some really bad sales sales processes recently. Um, you know, I've had everything from, um, you know, someone in Q4 trying to get me to sign um, a contract on their timing before the Christmas party, before their Christmas party. And, um, you know, all the way recently, I had someone cancel a demo with me. He told me he was too busy and had other priorities to work on. Right. That trust has now gone. And um, so uh, but I, I think that comes down from leadership. I think that you know that comes from a top down approach in terms of how you're enabling your people, how you're training your people, and, and how you're coaching your people as well.
0: There's a lot to unpack here. I'm gonna I'm gonna break this down in a couple of sections because that was like a there was a lot there mm-hmm. uh, masterclass on some of this stuff. The first thing you mentioned, which I am I'm, I'm really curious to, to dive into here, is uh, product led versus value led. Product led growth right now is a massive. Buzzword, product-led marketing. That this is the future. PLG, PLG, and I joke and I say it's phone-led growth, but um, PLG. But but can you? Can, and you mentioned a little bit this through this, but can you can you kind of uh, dive in a little bit more about what you mean by value-led growth um, versus product-led growth? I, I know you touched on a little bit, but can you can you give me a little bit more uh, meat on that, or is is this something that you've created? I haven't heard that one before. Value-led growth. Uh, or value led marketing, value led go to market versus product led, which seems to be the, the current buzzword.
1: Yeah, so I, I just made that up on the spot, but I'm happy to call it. <laughs> it.
0: <laughs> Even better. I'm happy to call it
1: that one. PLG is dead. PLG is dead.
0: PLG, yeah, PLG value
1: led growth. Yeah, um, so I think as, as companies think about product led growth and product led marketing, right? That you know, I think as companies look at roadmaps, it's like, you know what is driving you to create this new feature or new functionality as part of your product right whether that's you know you're looking at a sales engagement tool and they're now starting to do conversation intelligence right let's take that as an example there's there's have got to been a driver where that company says this is what the market needs this is what they're asking for and this is what's missing so we're going to go and build that now what your prospects don't want to hear about is all the features and functions, but there is isn't there is a piece there where you can educate them on why conversation intelligence is really helpful. You know, what is the benefit of that to your team? What is the value that you're going to get from conversation intelligence? So you're going to hear, you know, insights from your prospects. You're going to hear insights from your customers. You're going to be able to do better seamless AE to SDR to AE handover. That's what I mean by the value. Um, so I do think product-led growth is, you know, is is sort of at the center of all of this, but I think it's important that then we then differentiate between what are we talking about internally and why are we create, you know, why are we creating new features to our platform to then making sure we don't go into that trap of feature function selling. Does does that make sense?
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, you 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 brought up a great example with braces, right? The product is wires in your mouth that hurt and you know make you look silly and things like that if you were to sell that as as what it is the the actual features which is kind of interesting because that's what most people do with SaaS or services a lot of times like hey we do this and this and that it's like imagine imagine trying to find braces this way uh you know we've got this piece of this this metal that's going to go in your mouth and sometimes you have to put rubber bands in it and maybe you have like a crazy you know thing to you know, stop you from putting your thumb in there. Like there's all sorts of crazy stuff that goes in your mouth. Want to buy versus the yeah. perfect smile, right? Like that's that's literally what you're saying is happening with a lot of these organizations is they're marketing the actual widget, you yeah. know, the features, the functionality and not the outcome that they're seeking. Uh, the the whole is what they seek, not the drill, right? Yeah. Now, and there's a time and a place in that process. So um, because at some point, once you've created trust and intrigue and insight, they're at a point, um, you know, at what stage do do you, do we want to be sharing these little things? Maybe they are differentiators or is that just like, I'm, I'm, you know, is that just like, just don't even go there, right? Um, uh, especially at the top of the funnel. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that.
1: I think it starts with discovery but I also don't think discovery is like one step in a sales process. Like I think you should always be discovering and you should always be finding out, but I think there's an opportunity. If you, if you understand what's important to your prospect and you understand what are the drivers and, and why someone is looking, people buy something because they want to change the way they're doing something, right? Whatever that might be, you buy something because you're looking to do something differently. So, you know, if, if you can f- ask the right questions, tell relevant stories with messaging that's going to resonate, you'll see what your your buyer's interested in. But you know, we do a lot with our um, clients on the challenger sale. And a lot of the challenger sale, um I like it as a methodology because it's all about reframing and it's all about teaching and tailoring. And I think if you you know you might say to someone like, are you looking for a conversation intelligence tool? And they're like, no. That doesn't mean that they're not a prospect. It means they might not see the value of a conversation intelligence tool, right? So I do think this comes down to education. And, you know, one of my favorite parts of the challenger sale is when you're teaching, the response that you want to hear is not like, um, oh, yeah, Ryan, that makes sense. The response that you want to hear is, oh, Ryan, I hadn't thought of it like that before right yeah. and as soon as you can teach someone something you start to build that trust and you start to build that credibility and I think there is so much like you know inbound is people you know are searching they know they have a problem that's why I think outbound is so powerful because you have so much room to kind of you know capture the market that don't quite realize they have a problem right and you know I, I, I think that's where the there's a skills gap if I'm honest um, I don't think we're enabling salespeople to be teaching and reframing and educating the huge like percentage of the market who don't quite realize that they um, that they have they have an
0: issue so I think there's uh, a lot a lot of debate around that topic right uh, some people have this idea that um, you know, and, and I actually subscribe to this house when it comes to high velocity outbound is is it's about capturing the market that's in market now uh, yeah. and, use, and using outbound to to actually open up conversations and channels that, you know, may not be responding via other traditional inbound mechanisms. Um, but as you go up the funnel, if you I, I know, uh, you talk about sales science all the time, too. So if you're familiar at all with like Chet Holmes work and the buyer's pyramid concept of, how many folks are buying now? How many are open to it? How many might not be thinking about it? There's that winning zone you're talking about this education zone. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of debate around how much of that is sales versus marketing. And I think that this, uh, this modern movement now uh, becomes, well, you know, where's that blend? And, and, and I think that that's where the debate, debate begins, like salespeople just want leads ready to, ready to buy. Um, Marketers are trying to educate and warm up, and we're talking about value-led growth now and, you know, and, and all this value creation, but then there's this gap around, well, who's responsible for that education? And to your point, sellers are not very good at this, right? uh, to the, the, the modern seller. The modern seller is, hey, give me this lead, I'm going to run you through this process. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things, that, right? Give me this lead, I'm going to run through this process. Give me, me the meeting, I'm going to close them, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's the old joke. I put me in the room, I'm going to close them, right? Um, <laughs> But but that's the disconnect, right? So what are some of the things that you're 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 doing in that process to help organizations think differently about this experience?
1: I think it's I mean it's such it's such a good point and it's kind of the age-old debate, right? Of you know, sales and marketing don't like each other and you know, marketing thinks sales don't follow up on leads and sales yep. think that marketing leads are crap and all that sort of stuff. And I and I think what we've lost in that debate is what's the end goal that we're trying to that we're trying to reach here um so i think you know marketing can play a role in the um and the advocacy part of it. So, you know, review platforms we've talked about, I think they can play a part of it in making sure that we've got, um, you know, the right webinars and Cognizant, I'm loving the stuff that's coming out from Cognizant right now on demand generation versus lead generation, right? So, you know, we don't need to have um, gated content and that's the role that I think marketing can play, right? Because if, and but you have to have patience and sales have to have patience with that. Because if you switch to a demand generation model, you're not gonna see the results overnight. But I think, you know, from the stats I've seen that Cognizant have put out, you know, I think it's hugely powerful. So I think sales have to have patience, but I think sales also need to come up with like, these are our teaching points. These are the way, this is the way that we're going to reframe the issue that we're trying to solve, right? So what is the issue that you're trying to solve? And is that actually reflected in your messaging? And then I think, you know, we talk a lot about account-based sales and account-based marketing. That's not something that I think either of those teams own. I think it's a joint, I think it's a company effort because when I've seen successful ABM programs work, people have had CFOs doing outreach and their CEO doing outreach, right? I think it has to be an entire company behind that initiative. And something I heard yesterday, sales leader was saying, oh, these are our list of must-win accounts. And I think we have to reframe that slightly because a must-win account, that's a benefit for you as a company, right? Mm -hmm you know oh because these companies are you know the top five unicorns in the UK these we have to win these but actually we then move away from solving problems which I believe is what sales is about right Mm -hmm. and we become it becomes a this is what we need to do to hit our revenue this is what we need to hit our quota um so you know I think we're getting lost a little bit in that when we talk about biocentricity because having must-win accounts is not is not biocentricity in my opinion
0: so again, it's about reframing. Um, it's about reframing and rethinking the the journey on both sides of the table. Uh, I think that so many people look at this from a black and white perspective, and really, what we're talking about here is this blend in this gray area where you're taking you know emotional intelligence, understanding you know who they are and where they're at uh, into play. And um, you know, I like that idea. You know, for me again going back to my experience it's it's funny I have my little water bottle here my slogan on my consulting firm is solve a problem or go away right um uh, so I've, i subscribe to this and, and the list is the strategy right my methodology is around you know here is what i would call my swim lane but within that it's a hypothesis right i, I believe that these might be my next best customers versus these are my must-win customers and it's the same general principle right these five unicorns in the UK would be ideal for us to win because of X, Y, and Z. That's my hypothesis. But now I have to go and approach them and determine if there's actually a fit. And if there's not a problem, we need to get away and and identify, you know, what is the issue here? Um, and that education piece to me, um, internally, um, is what's, what's fascinating to me. Uh, and I'm curious to hear your experience now around, um, the challenges that a lot of these organizations have is they put together a plan, the most winning accounts, probably something they promised to the, the board or something when they raise money. Yeah. Right. And they put together the plan, they go hire a bunch of people and they go to action. Then they're getting this feedback that probably means they should pivot. Right. The, the learnings from the customer communication, the things you're talking about, the value that they're actually seeing versus what we thought it was. It's very difficult to pivot in that model, which is like, Hey, here's our model. Go execute the model versus here's a hypothesis, let's go, let's go learn together and get to this outcome. There's this patience element you've mentioned a few times, and then there's this pressure element that comes from, you know, hardcore selling. But what are you seeing with the organizations that you're working with? Um, is there a shift? Are you still, are you seeing folks try to come over to that side or are we still, s- still stuck because of that top down pressure uh, from plan execution?
1: Oh, it's a really good question. I think it's a bit of both. I think it depends on the agility of the company. And I think, um, you know, bigger companies tend to be less agile. Um, Not all, but in in most cases, I think when you're a startup and you're series A, right, you've sort of defined product market fit and it's now going to be about going to market and you're going to have different approaches. You know, a lot of some series A, you know, are predominantly outbound right and you might not have the um marketing budget to go and invest on you know inbound and demand generation and and that's fine I think um I think with companies you know they tend to review things in like formal settings so QBRs you know annual sales kickoff and things like that um and I and I think that this market that we're in right now is such a fast paced market things are moving so quickly that I'm you know I I almost think that reviewing things like that on a quarterly basis or twice a year probably just isn't enough and so I think we're probably going to see that change slightly you know whether it's hiring or things like that I mean the market is just moving so quickly in every way whether there's like new market entrants um so you know you're you're shifting your messaging or whatever that might be um but I think there is always going to be this pressure from the board there's always going to be pressure from investors I mean if your LinkedIn newsfeed is anything like mine the amount of funding and the valuations these days are like crazy right um so i think you know with that comes a higher set of expectations right series a like three years ago series a fundings used to be like five million now right. you see A is at like 40 50 60 million right so that's great for companies and for founders but i do think it naturally does come with with higher expectations are, are you seeing something similar as well
0: well so you bring up a great point it sounds great for Companies and founders, but actually, it can be a recipe for disaster. I mean, yeah. let's let's look at what you just mentioned. This is what I'm seeing. Q1, you know, you look on LinkedIn, massive round, massive round, massive round. You know, uh, you know, more unicorns being created, all that stuff. Um, every company's out there trying to hire in the in North America. At one point, I did a little search. It was like sixty two thousand active job postings for SDRs. Uh, then you fast forward now and it's like layoff, 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 layoff. Interesting. Right. It goes from massive bull market to, Oh, there's this rainy recession. Now we like, we may not have our thing. And that was just a matter of, uh, one quarter. And now the the, the thing that'll be interesting here is, all right, well, I just raised at this massive valuation. That means I have to hit these milestones. The initial Idea there became growth at all cost. That's the old model: growth at all cost, uh, growth within headcount, right? Double sales, double headcount, that type of mindset. And I don't know if if uh, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Time will tell. But either the organizations are getting smarter about, hey, wow, there's a lot of waste here. Let's go and prepare and not go over our skis. Maybe they're listening to <laughs> the signs and being smart, or. Um, they they they're bringing people on and it's not working or they can't bring people on i don't know what it is but it's really fascinating to see the challenge with high valuation is high outcomes and so you know i've been a part of these uh venture funded startups as a sales leader and i know the pressure in the boardroom i know what happens when um money starts to get tight at the at the tail end of a round um it can be very very stressful um and uh With a larger valuation that just you know if it's 10x like you said from 5 to 50 well that's 10x more pressure that's 10x more potential bad decisions being made because you're looking for growth at all costs too quickly and uh, that's what i'm that's what i'm seeing but i'm I'm not i'm not sure yet right i'm like are they getting smarter or are they it's really 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 interesting um to me because if the if the money's in the market now i don't think everyone got hired like what, what went from growth to now like the layoffs and things like that? I'm just super curious to what's happening um, in VC land <laughs> as I track yeah. along the way.
1: <laughs> I think it's interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see, you know, how this continues to play out. Because I think the the difference that we have now versus three years ago is VCs have more data than we've ever had, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how that, that, that balances out and how they, they're using data to make informed decisions.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing you've mentioned here, too, is, you know, if we, if we, rethink, um, if we rethink this process now, uh, what do the KPIs become, right? So how, how do we start to rethink things from, um, you know, pipeline and revenue today at all costs versus education, you know, the customer journey and when the time is right and the fit's right? Uh, how does that come into play and um you know if you're funded and you have objectives is there a new way to rethink that like if i'm a if i'm a startup and i'm raising now can i present a story that is more reasonable not so much hockey stick t- growth provides a reasonable timeline and raising out the right valuation or because of all the data and all that stuff that the vcs have or or is there a new model to present right is that, is that some of the work that you're doing uh, at all? Do you work at, at all with some of the go-to-market planning and forecasting that might be helping with fundraising? Uh, or is that not necessarily stuff you touch?
1: We look at... So every time we, stru- we, we, we start an engagement with a client, we look at the top metrics that they're measuring. Um And, you know, we usually start those engagements with, you know, a CRO or a VPO sales. And so they'll often share the kind of metrics that they're, you know, they're measured on and that they want to drive growth with within the team. They are often around um, revenue, so pipeline metrics, conversion metrics and things like that. I think. You know, over the last six months, we've done um, an increasing number of uh, customer uh, customer success programs, um, which, is, which is amazing, right? Because um, we talked a little bit about the buyer and things like that. And I think, you know, companies are focused so much on actually um, attracting clients and getting clients in, but not as much on the retention side. So this retention stuff has been really exciting. And every company we've worked with, they've all said that their VCs and investors have been really, really focused on churn and networking attention so i think that's the drive from from vcs which is we are losing so much money on getting all these companies in and then we're losing them 12 months later um and there's a stat that i can't quite remember off the top of my head but i think it's something like um you know, it's the first 30 days of usage of a platform is, is really, really key. Um, and if you don't use it in the first 30 days, it's just going to go down and down and down. So we're doing a lot of work with companies on how to set success metrics, how to onboard effectively, because something that's interesting um, is usually the economic buyer that has gone through that sales process is probably not the one that's going to be in the onboarding. They're going to have a, a project manager, a project owner, or someone else who reports to them or in their team. And so part of that is then going back to the sales process and understanding, okay, now how do we get them engaged? Because someone else above you or a peer has bought this tool, and now it's over to you to, to drive effectiveness and get them to use it. Um, so we're doing a lot around uh, onboarding, success planning, um, driving engagement, re-engaging disengaged customers, um, which is which is really cool. But I think that's you know to answer your question, that's an initiative that's being been, being driven down from from an investment level.
0: Well, and, and that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's it's a lot easier to grow and maintain an existing client than to go out and acquire a new one. Yet the models seem to be acquire, 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 you know, what What about what happens on the other end? Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that's great to see that movement. Um, I think that customer success enablement, these types of things are historically just buzzwords. They haven't really been, you know, formalized and operationalized and, at the same to the same extent that you see with traditional sales methodologies, which are tried and true and banked, and with let's say the last ten years or so, you've seen uh, obviously marketing uh, uh, through market tech and uh, ad tech platforms, and and the and the revenue ops, uh, marketing ops types of revolution, and then sales ops coming in here now. Uh, sales development starting to get more formalized, but like customer success is like now like it's not just support and responding to tickets. It's, it's, it's actually, how do you be successful? So, you know, you've got the braces on now, like, what do you need to do to make sure that you get to the, that perfect smile? It's yeah. not about just like, you know, and, and, you know, making sure you're bl- brushing and flossing and like, there's some things you have to do here, right? It's not magic. You can't set it and forget it. Like Ron popil I don't know if that's popular. in yeah. here on your side of the pond but you uh, know, said it and forget it right it's, that's not the case but that's how it's been operated for a long period of time so that's exciting to see that that's a big chunk of the work that you're working yeah. on now and um and and you're seeing that from the investor as a, yeah. as, a as a bigger kpi um yeah. so i want to pivot a little bit um this is i could talk to you about this stuff for 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 a long time but there's <laughs> a few more. I, I think we could geek out about some of this stuff um I want to get back to the science side of things. Cause this is like at my heart, I talk about the math of sales, your math of sales never lies. Um, and you claim that sales is a science, not an art form. Uh, and so I'm curious what your formula is uh, for, for sale uh, for effective sales.
1: Um, yeah. Good question. So when I started SalesWorks uh four years ago, um, what I was hearing and seeing was, you know, some people had got, you know, spent tons of money on hiring great SDRs, but then no no go-to-market strategy, no comp plans, no metrics, no conversion ratios. And I'm like, you can spend all the money that you want on hiring good people, but there's a, I believe there's a recipe for success to to bring, bring these things together. Um, so how I summarized it was um, hopefully quite easy to remember, but four S's. So skills, structure, strategy, and systems. So the skills is all around um, the right people in the right roles, right? So hiring, onboarding, and ongoing development. Structure is how is the team set up for success? So do you use a pod ratio like SDR to AE? Um, how do you how is the team set up from a management perspective? Do they have a manager in place? a lot of companies don't right they report into a vp of sales or a vp of marketing what is their kpi structure what is their day-to-day structure the strategy then has a look at um inbound outbound conversion rates campaigns and then lastly the systems and this is something else i see right you can spend all the money you want on systems but if you don't have any of the other stuff in place like good luck to you um so the systems is not just around um you know your data tools like Cognizant and a sales engagement tool, it's also things like how is your CRM set up for your SDRs to be efficient, right? Mm -hmm. The dashboards, the, you know, have you got a conversation intelligence tool? And so when I look at companies that have one or two of those, you know, that's where you start to see some of the cracks. And so, you know, I do believe that's a methodology for a good team. But what underpins this and i think where you know where the science part comes through is if you have the right data in place you're able to make informed decisions and if you have the data you can benchmark rep by rep you can bench- benchmark quarter by quarter um and you're then able to have a look at okay what do i need to do to take my team from from point a to point b but I think as as you're think if you're thinking about, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about building an SDR team or you have an SDR team, um, you know, ask yourself, what's the mission statement for my team today? And it's a question that a lot of revenue leaders get stuck on when I ask that. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, what's your mission statement? Because I think if depending on what you want your team to be doing, right, so you could say this is going to be the talent bench for or you know future sales talent in the organization or I want this to be a high performing pipeline generation you know team depending on that you can then ascertain what do I need to do to get started Um, but you know I think the science part that's why I think you know having a playbook and things like that you know is really really important and being able to have the data and understand what to do with that data is all part of the science.
0: So. You are right after my heart. All the stuff that you've talked about, I love. I love your S systems, right? So uh, um, I'm always, you know, I like to talk about people, process, technology, and you know, process first, which is kind of your systems uh, piece, right? Making sure that there's actually a formal way of, of executing um, uh, on all of that part. Then I'd say people, and then and then of course adding those technology layers in the in play to accelerate some of this stuff. Um, and then you're talking about the data, right? So I, I have this methodology that I walk through, which is basically uh, baked out of a lot of the marketing math stuff that I, I've known for a long time. My background is in performance marketing uh, when I first cut my teeth. Uh, so you, you're all about these, these top funnel metrics, uh, but didn't see a lot of it in, in sales. Um, and so for me, I've got this Bible. I'm curious what are those KPIs that matter most that um, if you have them, you can make those adjustments. So you said if you have the data, you can you know what to do. It becomes objective versus subjective, right? It's no longer how I feel. It's not what the data says. But what are the key, what are the most important KPIs in your opinion um, when you think about the science of, of, of sales? So
1: I think you've got the people KPIs, and then I think you've got the performance KPIs, right? The performance KPIs are things that, that you know, are sort of, you know, basic to, to running a sales team, right? So um, you know, pipeline creation, but also velocity, conversion, um, you know, the every every stage having a look at what your conversion ratio is and what is the room to optimize, um, what is the average within the team, and then you know, as you look at your top performers, middle performers, and lower performers, um, you know, what is the data that you can gather from there? One of the more subjective things on the um on the performance and the pipeline side of this, and I ask a lot of companies this, and I get a ton of different answers. What's your top three closed-lost
0: reasons? <laughs> that's a great question. Yeah, no one knows. I get,
1: I get you know. Price, and
0: we're too expensive you know, that I ghosted.
1: <laughs> genuinely, oh my God, Ryan, the number of times I hear ghosted, and I like, I said to someone recently, I was like, ghosted isn't the closed-lost reason. Ghosted is like one of 10 things that's happened, right? Um, and, Uh, So, so that's something, but I think, you know, having your CRM set up, so you are actually measuring that is a mandatory field, the sales rep has to go in and complete, I think is so important, because if you can't understand why you're losing deals, you're going to struggle to to build improvement in that part of the process and that part of the conversion. I think the people thing is a people KPIs are really important as well. And what I mean by that is more around the hiring and the retention. Um, at least in the UK right now, it is so difficult to find good salespeople. Um, and that's at every level, right? So, SDRs, um, you know, SDRs are making double what I started my career on as an SDR right now. Um, so, you know, SDRs, AEs, SDR leaders is a huge role that's in demand. And then what I would describe as, um, more mid managers right so a sales director and it's it's really really tough to find good people right now so tracking metrics on things like time to hire um, you know number of offers out and acceptance rate because I think that can help you also um, improve your recruiting process your hiring process um, because that's a timely and costly process that companies go through right um, you know if you send 10 SDR offers out and you get free acceptance rate you've got a problem there um you know things like onboarding and ramp time um attrition rate understanding why people are leaving if they are leaving so those are the kind of people metrics and I think that you have to be able to understand both dynamics of of those things um and again I think you know I'm sure that if investors aren't looking at that already they're, they're going to start to because it's such a costly process
0: so you're putting the same science behind the people side as well. You're, you're identifying some 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 stages and there's ratios and you're saying, hey, what's going on? Where's the drop off? Uh, and you're creating a funnel there too. And then I love what you said because it is so important. Um, most of the time we look at the ratios and we focus on the positives. Okay, so what's our conversion to positive outcome? We're not looking at all of the outcomes. And when you, when you actually open up all of the outcomes right there's generally there's generally four right like there's a yes we won or moving forward in each stage yeah. there's a no not going to happen like it's out there's a not now it's getting kicked down the can and then there's there's a not me or you know somebody else type of thing yeah. like we, we were in the wrong level that's really it most people just focus on the yes you're saying massive opportunities to think about the no and get that real outcomes I like that middle ground evaluation as well it's something that you know it's a, a core of my my methodology at the very top of the funnel but it's the same throughout the entire sales process because that's where you know yes moving in we celebrate no who knows what the heck's going on and then you've got this middle ground which you know the best sellers don't really deal with right their their pipelines look like a nail not a funnel but the yeah. middle middle man the, the middle and the worst performers have these big fat you know, these big fat pipelines that are, there's no real understanding of what's going on. Um, And so that autopsy component and creating a, uh, a way to do that, do you have any specific, I don't know, frameworks or or specific types of ways to think about that? Um, You know, again, for me, I think about yes, no, not me, not now. That's just four basic things. But within that, you can go uh, way deep. But um, within the no, for example, you know, we talk about just three, but uh, do you have a framework that's in place for thinking about like how do you one gather that information appropriately? Like I- anything that you use to like engage the client to get that real, honest objective versus or outcome versus like whatever the rep felt. Um, and then and then in addition to that, any standard ones that you actually see. Like what should you be seeing? That's beyond maybe the three. I'm curious.
1: Yeah, I love the three. Um, that's such a good way of of summarizing that. So at my previous company, um, they implemented when loss reviews. And I remember every salesperson thought they were a complete nightmare to fill out. And I think part of it was because we didn't really understand why we had to fill it out, right? It just seemed like, you know, something that you had to do when you marked a deal as close-loss. Yeah, busy those, work. Yeah. <laughs> but no sales rep likes um, marking a deal as close lost. And then you add to that, you know, can you spend a couple of minutes now, like, you know, essentially writing down why you did a good job here. Why no. did you
0: fail? Why did you yeah. fail? <laughs> exactly. yeah. No,
1: and, and on top of that, sales reps don't really like using the CRM and admin, right? So you're like, you're setting yourself up for failure here. But we didn't really understand why we were doing it. And it was just sort of pushed down. So I think if companies don't have this in place right now and are doing it, um walk through your teams why this is important and get everyone in the room and we talked about marketing a little bit earlier like I think marketing should be doing more content collateral whatever that might be against those closed lost reasons because there is a misconception that marketing is just top of the funnel like my view is marketing can play a role throughout the entire sales process and through the funnel as well so walk through your reps why this is important make it easy don't make it 25 fields that they have to fill out um if you make it free text expect your reps to write things like ghosted so you know try and have a couple of check boxes and try and and you know make this a group initiative right get your team in a room and say okay what are the top 10 reasons as to why we lose we lose deals and coach them if they are saying things like ghosted coach them into giving more of a specific answer and that way you're buying them into this process you're agreeing collaboratively on a list of reasons as to why people buy and then every month or every quarter depending on your sales cycle make that something that you review and think about okay are we doing what we need to be doing in the sales process are we doing you know someone said to me recently one of the top reasons that we lose is we're not we're not senior enough in in deals right no decision was made and we're not senior enough okay so once you take that data what do you do with that, right? Because there's, you know, are you training your team on multi-threading? Are you training your team on communicating with c level Do they have messaging that is going to resonate with the CFO as an example? So take that data and then come up with two to three insights. Um, and I, you know, I think that, that that sits with the leadership team to kind of drive that, drive that change and drive that behavior.
0: So there's, there's a lot of really solid, um tactical things to do right away there um and i think that again this is another topic that you i would i would love to go deep with you at some point maybe we have to come back on a on a, a round 2 of this uh this uh this interview uh on this podcast but um we're running a little bit low on time and i want to land the plane so we can get back to you know you being um uh the the ceo of of a successful business as you are and now, that's going to be two more questions. So the, the the next one is, you know, you're in a unique position, not a lot of women uh, in sales in general that come up through the ranks and a lot of women CEOs in, in this space. Um, and so what would you say to aspiring young women in sales who are looking to grow as one, a sales leader, and then potentially use that as a springboard into becoming a potential CEO or founder uh, like yourself?
1: Good question. Um I would say three things. So I would say the first is knowledge is always going to be your best friend, right? Every successful business leader I've known, regardless of gender, has always been an avid learner. Um, And so, you know, learn everything that you need to know about your business, about your industry, because that authenticity and expertise is what others are going to take value from. The second thing is, um, believe in what you do, because that passion, that passion and patience that passion is going to come out. But but be patient. I think imposter syndrome is more real than it ever has been before. And I think people are doing a good job at talking about it. But believe in what you do. And that passion is going to come across as, um, you know, as, as stronger than anything else that you can do. Um, and that will give you conviction in what you're doing. And I think the third thing, um, which, you know, I think is they're all important, but I think maybe the third thing is, is, um, is more important is find a mentor. Um, because when I first sought out a mentor, I was always looking for, um, a female leader and someone I identified with. Um, cause I think whilst it's important to have an understanding of those people who mentor you, I think it's actually more important to find someone who's an, unlike you. Um, I'm a big believer in diversity of thought and diversity of opinion. Um, but, you know, if you're a female out there and you're looking for a mentor, um, don't just explore female mentors, because I think there's a there's a, a ton of things that I think we can we can learn from from everyone.
0: I love that. Um, I'm a huge, huge proponent of, uh, of that concept myself. I just finished a book, um, you know, Think Again or Think Differently. I can't remember the title at this moment, but it really, really is important to have those different perspectives uh, Mm -hmm. as you're going through it. Um, Thank you so much for for all your time today. We have one last question that we ask every guest, uh, which is always a fun one, right? So if you had an extra, uh, oh, they've dropped it. They dropped the amount. What's going on? I thought it used to be 50. If you have an extra 10,000 pounds to invest in your sales team, where would you spend it? Uh, or, how would you spend it, and maybe a why because uh, I think that's always helpful?
1: such a good question um, okay, well, maybe I'm biased, um but I would use a portion of it to train them um because I think you can give all your all you can give your team all the tools in the world, but it doesn't matter if they're not unable to use them, right? So you can get um sales loft and run brilliant cadences, but if they can't write good emails or have effective calls that are the main part of that cadence then you're never going to see ROI. So I'd use the first part to train them. I would use the rest to invest in data because I think that's the biggest lever you can pull for productivity. So I'd get a tool like Cognizant. Um, how much money do I have left? Like I still got a wish list. Well, uh,
0: you, you I don't know. I don't know you're going to get away with, you'd have to be balling on a budget with that. They did drop the amount. It used to be 50,000, but now it's 10,000. That's just 10,000. Like 50,000, you might be able to pull that off. Ten thousand. Yeah. It's like, man, with inflation, what, I'll get a gallon of gas. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, i think
1: some books. Um, if I have any money left over, I would invest in a tool that allows me to um, to do really personalized video outreach. Uh, because we did a benchmarking study uh, with Gong and AirCall in the UK last year, and only four percent of SDRs were using video. Like that blows my mind. Four percent of SDRs are using video. Um, we talk about, you know, cutting through the noise and email inboxes filling up. And LinkedIn is really noisy. Um, and so I would, you know, love to get a tool to, to help people, um, you know, do great video prospecting.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for all your time today. We went with a, a really strong extra session because I think I, I could have gone so much further along that you're a, uh, full of knowledge here and I definitely with love to welcome a follow-on if you're open to it at some point but uh, um, if folks wanted to reach out um are you one are you accessible and two uh, where would they find you and, and how do they how do they engage
1: yes I am I'm on LinkedIn um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn so I, I share a lot of blogs that I write so please do connect with me on there I'm Shabri Lakhani, um or you can head over to our website um which is salesworks.io but thank you very much for having me I loved this and I'd love to have a follow-on
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Well, have a wonderful day, and thanks again for sharing all your knowledge. All the best.